This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington, host of the podcast Transformative Principle and author of the book School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I am a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Hello all, I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I are teaming up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking in, with some of the nation's leading experts in the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. And today, we have an expert in astrophysics. What? <laughs> <laughs> Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. Well, Jethro, we're getting a little outside of our comfort zone today, but uh, it should be a great conversation. Yes, uh, it will be. Today we have uh, Joshua Spodek, uh, who is has a PhD in astrophysics and an MBA from Columbia, um, and he's just done a ton of amazing things. You can read his whole bio on our on the website cybertraps.com, But I will do my introduction, pointing out two things that are fascinating to me about Josh. Uh, number one, he has done over one hundred fifty thousand burpees consistently every day no not he doesn't do 150,000 every day but he does <laughs> he's in phenomenal and, shape <laughs> he sure is and second um he has a great podcast called the sustainable life where he talks about um how to protect the environment by making the individual choices that we can make and um i've been on that podcast and really enjoy it and love it every time i have the opportunity to talk to josh so welcome josh to the cyber traps podcast glad to be here thanks for having me we're excited to talk with you because you have uh, so much background and so much knowledge, and then you share it freely. You've been writing on your blog every day for uh, like 3,000 days, I think, something like that, um, or somewhere close to that. I think you started in 2011. Is that right? Yeah. So it's um, 
I just started my 11th year. So I've, I've 10 years of never missing a post. Yeah. So, you know, what's amazing is that you're sharing so much stuff with everybody and you're with anybody who's creating so much, you get into all kinds of different topics. And so our podcast today focuses on a digital technology. And so that's what we're going to talk a lot about, but, um, but we're going to go off into different areas as well. So first thing I'd like you to talk about is your SIDCHAs or self-imposed daily challenging, healthy Activities. Activities. There yeah. we go. <laughs> All right, I got it. So t- talk, to, talk to us first about our sitchas and what that means and how we can start doing that ourselves. Okay, I'll, I'll share one of the things that started off was one day I was coming home and walking in my building and I had, I, was, I don't remember exactly what I was thinking about at the time, but I was thinking about something important. And as I walk in the building, I live on the fifth floor and I'm thinking to myself, should I take the elevator or should I take the stairs? Because, you know, the elevator is a little quicker and more convenient, but the stairs better exercise. And as I'm thinking this, I think, wait a minute, I was... I was thinking something important and now I forgot what that thing was. And it's not really important to me to decide between the stairs or the elevator. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to pick one and go with it forever. And the mental clarity and simplifying the mental process that happens when you just pick something and go with it is really high. And another big piece of it was when I, I had my blog before I started posting daily and a friend of mine was setting up, like he was setting, I had it on some other platform and he was switching it to uh, WordPress. And I asked him, do you post like when you have a, a good idea? Is it like Monday, Wednesday, Friday? And we've been joking around and like he turns to me, his face gets totally serious. And he goes, every day, if you miss one day, you can miss two. If you miss two, it's all over. And I just started posting every day and thinking I only had, I didn't, I didn't think I had thousands of ideas worth writing about. But what happened as I, writ, as I wrote was that I developed the skills of sitting down and writing, writing, coming up with ideas, um, asking people questions to come up with ideas, and like what time of day to write and things like that. And it turns out that for things that are important, it's just so much easier to make it a, a habit, to make it habitual, to make it a part of my daily life than to think about, should I restart and stop? And that's, it's much easier for me to do the burpees one day than to think, oh, I don't feel well. Uh, you know, I got all the work tomorrow. I'm busy. And then maybe try to restart. That is much harder. And so I just started, I guess it was writing the podcast every day. Uh, the, the blog every day was the first one. And it was about almost a year into that, that I had been, you know, when I was younger, I played team sports. And you, when you get older, it's a little harder to do the team stuff. And then I'd go to the gym down the block but then you have to pay money and you got to change. And it's like, um, that was a kind of pain. And was I going to go out in the rain? And I read this article about burpees that some New York Times writer asked a bunch of fitness experts, what's the, if there's a single best exercise, what is it? I'd never heard of the burpee. And a friend of mine and I, after we heard about it, we just decided kind of on a whim over drinks, oh, let's do 10 burpees a day for 30 days. So I'm doing the burpees. I'm like, no equipment no risk of injury, no spot or necessary, no, it's all body weight. And I was like, this is what I've been looking for. There's no excuse not to do it. I thought, why stop? So I never did. <laughs> I think maybe after I'm gone, I think if the Sid Chow concept really catches on, it could be my greatest contribution to humanity. 
as we were talking about before we got started today, the uh, U.S. Streak Runners Association deserves a little bit of a shout out uh, that I joined about two and a half years ago. And it plays directly into what you're talking about, Josh, in the sense that if you get over the hump of forming a habit, which is depending on which guru you listen to, a three or four week process, then it does take away that mental debate, right? So it's not a question of, am I going to run today? It's a question of when and how am I going to fit it into my schedule? But the decision to run has been made. And that makes a huge psychological difference. And I think what Jethro is alluding to, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is that it is possible to do this kind of healthy challenge for things that are negative as well as positive. So there are choices we cannot make every day, like bringing the phone into our bedroom. And we talk about this a lot with parents. Um, is that something you've implemented or do you see this purely as a positive forward-looking concept? It's all these things. It, it, I, on my own, would not have much discipline. I watched a lot of TV growing up. I always had chips and pretzels in my cupboard. I always had ice cream in the freezer. And people think you have discipline, therefore you do this. Uh-uh, it's totally the other way around. I have this and therefore I have discipline. And so that enables me to do other things. I agree that it's hard to start a habit if you've never started a habit before. I've started many habits. It doesn't take me that long to start a new habit. I, if I decide to want to do it, it's a skill like any other. So yeah, it might take 30 days the first time you do it or however long it takes people. But the next time you do it and the next time you start picking up the tricks, there's always tricks that when you repeat something, like this morning was a lifting day besides the burpees, I also have other exercises. So before I lift, I always, since I don't have a bench here, I do a lot of lifting on the, a bunch of the stuff I do is on the floor. So every fifth day is my lifting day. Every fifth day before lifting is my mop, is, is a mop the floor. Now it's not so easy to start lifting because the weights are heavy and you know it's going to be hard, but it's much easier to mop. And in my case, mopping, it just happens to be easier just to get on the floor on my hands and knees and use a sponge. And I just go and do it. And I actually, I think about monks when I do this. I think about my role models. And then once the floor is all nice and clean, it's kind of hard not to do the lifting. And all my things have, like with the burpees, I'll tell you, there have been times when I've stood there and tell me if this sounds familiar. I just go, okay, I'm going to start now. Okay, 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 okay. Now, now I'm going to start now. I'm sure that I've stood there for 10, 15 minutes at times. And like five years in, and I tried all these different things of like, how to start, you know, count down from three, count up to three, count down from five and, and all these different things. And then one of them stuck, which was a breathing thing. I just said, all right, on my next breath, I can inhale, but I won't exhale. So I, I'm standing there and I got that long to go before I'll start. And for some reason, for me, that one stuck. So now it's actually, as I'm like walking over to where I do them, I notice like, oh, this is the breath. I guess I'm, this, this breath counts. And that, that comes through doing things over and over and over again. There's a self-awareness that comes. I'm still improving my, my push-up form, my burpee, like th the attitude. A lot of people ask, well, what do you do when you're not feeling well? What do you do if you don't have time? And the short answer is that those times are the ones that count the most. I've come to think of the, the times that I do them when I'm feeling fine. Those are the practice. I mean, though, you know, they give me fitness, they give me cardio, you know, my resting pulse, pulse rate is like in the forties. It's really 
very healthy, but well, they just trained me for like, after I ran a marathon, I didn't do the burpees. I do two sets, one in the morning, one in the evening. I had to do 50 burpees after running a marathon. That was really hard, but there was no question I was going to do them. They weren't my best form. And I certainly didn't do them as fast as I've, I've done others, but I did them. And now for the rest of my life, that's the touchstone is I want to come back drunk from some event or, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling well or my toe is broken or something like that. I'm like, yeah, once I dropped a weight on my chest, I'm like, oh, the pushups really hurt. But was it as hard as that time I didn't after the marathon? No. Well, I did those so I can do these. Those are the times when in my, in my language, that's when I meet myself. When I take away all the artifice, when I take away all of like how I want to look to others, I said I was going to do this. Do I do it? That's that little bit that comes once every five years, maybe a moment like that. That's why I do them. I, I completely understand. I'll share a real quick story. And then I've got a, a question for you on, on how we integrate technology. The story is real quick. I know that moment that you're talking about because my wife and I were traveling to our son's wedding in Malaysia three years ago just when I had started this, I think I was a month into this running streak that I was doing. Mm -hmm. And we stopped in Ho Chi Minh City for a couple of days en route. And I was running along the waterfront, one of their rivers there, and they have a huge motorbike um, culture. And they've put up these barriers, these poles along the river to keep the motorbikes off the river path. They paint them gray for some reason, which makes them utterly invisible. invisible. <laughs> and I slammed into one and just pitched forward. And I actually am remarkably surprised I didn't break my shin. The runs the next three days with that experience, that's my touchstone. I know exactly what you mean yeah. because I somehow got through those and you keep going. But the question I have for you, and, and I'm curious about this, is is there any role for technology in your cinches in the sense of uh, apps to keep track of what you're doing or motivational tools? Do you use like a, uh, a mindfulness app to help get you through this? So for technology, I mostly prefer not, to, I was going to joke, we're nerds here. I was going to say uh, the off function, the off app, because <laughs> I, when I go to sleep at night, if I went to sleep without brushing my teeth, uh, I can get in bed, but I'm going to get right back out of bed and brush my teeth. It, it, that streak is much longer. I don't know how long that one goes, but it goes back like a lot longer about brushing my teeth. There's no app for me to brush my teeth. So I try not to depend on things on that. Now that said, there's a lot of people that contact me and say, oh, I want to start a sit -shot. And so I'm walking through the process. There's a really good webinar that I did at the beginning of the pandemic for people to start habits and keep form structure for their lives during the pandemic. And there's a couple, there's like a spreadsheet online that I, there's a small group that every day I post that I did my, um, one of the habits that I'm, I'm doing with them. And that's kind of fun. Cause there's this, we put little notes on it, really small notes, like did it a different way this day, or, um, you know, someone said, thank you today, something like that. And that community element that comes from having an online sheet that everyone can post to, that's kind of cool. My stepbrother, uh, not brother, uh, my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, he wanted to do this. And he was like, oh, I'm, I'm, there's just no way I'm going to keep up your level of, of um, daily. He said, but could you te uh, keep in touch? And so I text him every day when I finish my evening burpees. So if I, 
I'm, I'm looking at my phone now. Should I get it? And I could scroll and you could see done, 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 done. I just test him done. Every now and then he'll say like, um, like if he's not there for a couple of days, he'll write back, back here, done. And then I'll say like, welcome back, done. And adding that community element, I really like. Um, you guys have families. I, I, I don't. So it's just, I'm single. So technology helps with that. But I, I don't like to use, um, I don't want to, I don't want to gamify it. I don't want to make it like, here's a target that you're going to get. Or if I do it this many times, the tree will die or not die or something like that. If you guys know that app, I, I just like to do it. Yeah. I, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I think that the community aspect is key. Yeah, I will say that with the running streak, um, my sister's a runner, her daughters are runners. And so we do the map my run app and we post our runs each day that we do. And it, it really matters that, that one of my nieces every day likes my run. You know, mm -hmm. I have this long string of, you know, Isabel liked your workout. And it's, it's really encouraging. It's a really sweet thing. Yeah, I guess I do like the little encouraging feelings. I actually have to say that when I add something new to say the calisthenics routine, it usually comes from someone in my life. And so, for example, the guy that I did the 10 burpees a day with at the beginning, he, with his kids, for some reason, they would start, most people start, you drop down, do a push-up, and then jump up. He does a little jump up. That was his thing with his kids. So I started doing it. So now every, when I start, I always think of him when I do that little jump at the beginning. There was a guest on my podcast, an Olympic gold medalist. When I was researching her to do the, to bring her on the podcast, I saw some videos of her. She also happened to win, like Olympic gold medals, not enough. She also won the CrossFit games. And she was doing push-ups where when she did the push-up, she would take her hands off the ground. And then, like, I'd never seen that before. So I think about her every time that I do that, those ones. Um, the guy who was interviewed and the author who wrote the article in the New York Times, like, I, they're part of my community. I think of them. When the pandemic began and I realized that I would be locked down, I thought of role models of mine who's been locked down before. And Nelson Mandela was locked down for 27 years. And I don't know if many people know this. He was a boxer, amateur boxer, before all the ANC stuff started. And so in, he had a seven-day routine of four days on, three days rest of his boxing uh, routine. And he kept that up 27 years in prison. And I think, so people like two months into the pandemic, people are like losing their cool about being locked up for two months. And I'm like, I got a quarter century to go before I'm close to my role model. And so I think, I mean, especially during the lockdown, my habits connect me with Nelson Mandela primarily, but others who have had habits like that. Um, Victor Frankl would be another that, you know, I, I don't want to even say the pandemic is even close to what those guys were, went through. But why did they leave messages for us, if not for us to learn from those things? And I, I, think, I think they want us to live better lives through their experience than we would have otherwise, even though we're not in jail for 27 years or in Auschwitz. 
Yeah, I, that's interesting, Josh. I, I don't think that I knew about Nelson Mandela's boxing, but it does explain why he looked so awesome, you know, throughout the course of his life. He was in phenomenal shape. And I also appreciate you mentioning uh, Viktor Frankl because uh, Man's Search for Meaning, I think, is one of the most influential books I've ever read and uh, certainly highly recommend it. You talked about that connection to others as being important. And I, in, in knowing you and in, in hearing your podcast and, and the things you talk about there, one of the things you talk a lot about is the environment and how, so my question is, how does te- digital technology affect our relationship or disconnect us from the environment? I'm going to tell two stories then. One is going back because Jethro, speaking of people who inspire, he, would, I, he probably wouldn't say this on his own, but he contacted me and said, I want to do your podcast. I have something that I want to do. And I was like, okay. And I didn't know about it until we were on. And he said, I'm going to skip a whole lot of details, but listen to the episode with him on it. And so he's a principal of a school and he says, I'm going to ride my bike to school every day. And I always tell it to people this way. And, and, and I say, and then he rode his bike to and from school every day for a school year. And then I say to people who don't know him, uh, guess where he was? And, you know, Fairbanks, Alaska, minus 40. I say to them. And so I, the other day there was um, some people were visiting Brooklyn and I was like, am I going to ride my bike? And I was like, Jethro, of course I'm going to ride my bike. It's merely mid thirties. And I did this math this morning in my head, thinking about this, this uh, recording. And if I go from 30 up to the highest temperature I've ever been, that's smaller than from 30 down to minus 40. So I'm not even halfway to where he was. And I like to point out how if not for Jethro, I wouldn't know that if you inflate your tires indoors and it's minus whatever outdoors, you have to reinflate them outside because PV equals NRT. You need to be a Patriots fan to really understand <laughs> yeah. how oh, yeah, yeah. that works. <laughs> I can give you chapter and verse on the physics of air pressure. Yeah. Um, Thanks, Josh. Josh, to your point, though, about thinking about other Technology? people. Is, oh. I'm sorry, but, but in terms of thinking about the example other people set, I, I saw some AP photo of the protesters for Alex Navalny in Vladivostok. They were out in uh-huh. minus 50 to Oof. do their protest. So anytime you're concerned about getting out and working for whatever candidate you want to work for, those people showed how to do it. Yeah. Whatever you do, however far you go, there's always role models to go. And it's, they, what they inspire us. They, they, lead us to better ourselves. So Jethro had asked about technology and nature and sustainability. I'm going to tell a story about one of my guests, another guest. Um, People might know Michael Moss, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and author of a book called Salt, Sugar, Fat. Wonderful book. I highly recommend. And as I mentioned on my podcast, people take on a sustainability challenge and then share what it was like afterward. And it's based on their values. I don't give it to them. I ask them, what does the environment mean to you? And then I invite them at their option to do something to act on that. So he committed to, for one week, he would use his cell phone less. So less time on, on the screen. Now you might say, that's very little reduction. You know, we got like oil and gas spewing all over the place. Just turning off the cell phone is not that big of a deal. What I found is that big or small is not nearly as important as if the person cares, if they do it from their heart. So he came up with that. And if they really care about it, they come back to me and come up with more things later. Anyway, so he comes back, we talk the next week and I say, how did it go? And he goes, I actually use my cell phone more. 
And I said, how did that happen? And he says, well, he says a bunch of things. One of the things was he's learning the cello. He's practicing the cello and he's got an app. I don't know, maybe it keeps the time. I'm not exactly sure, but he has to have it on while he's playing. So I said to him, well, it sounds like you taking, reducing your phone time was probably to you know, spend less time on social media, less scrolling. And maybe that was a little too broad a stroke to say any screen time, maybe just screen time on Facebook, something like that. And he says, yeah, I thought that too. And then he says, and this is the phrase that has become part of my lexicon. He says, I thought of that, but then I thought maybe that's the addiction speaking. And suddenly it hit me that this is, that's the addiction speaking describes a lot of our behavior. It certainly around the air of the environment. And so I made a blog post. I'm going to read you some of it of our addiction speaking in the area of the environment, because a lot of people I'll say to them, like, I don't fly, or I take a year to fill up a load of garbage or things like that. And people say things like, you're so extreme, or what one person does doesn't matter, or only governments and corporations can make a difference. So it doesn't matter what I do, or the plane was going to fly anyway, you should just go. Or why do you deprive yourself so much, Josh? Just get some takeout. Uh, you know, I support you not flying, but I have to do it for my job. You know, I'm all for the environment, but in a crash, an SUV, a heavier car is safer. So, of course, I care about the environment, but my, my family is much more important, so I have to pick this. And, oh, people have been saying that we we're going to die for years, and they've all been wrong, so they're probably wrong here too. Or uh, I'm, I'm kind of reading a few off of this long list of things. Maybe no one will notice. And it was his pointing out our relationship with technology I mean, most cell phone stuff, a lot of cell phone stuff is specifically designed to get you back in again. How much of our culture is specifically designed to get you back in again? I think of, I mean, another place, he, he came from salt, sugar, fat, and convenience, which is how food hooks you. And in food, I, I, have you guys ever noticed there's a difference between what I call taste good and want more? So the example I give, if I bite into an apple, I don't know about you, I, I, I bite into an apple, it tastes good and I want more. So I usually take another bite and I keep eating until I'm finished the apple. Occasionally I'll have two apples, but I believe that I've never eaten three apples in a row in my life. They still taste good, but the want more goes away. Now I've eaten a lot of Doritos in my life. So if I eat one Dorito, I take a bite and I'm like, oh, that tastes good, I want more. I might finish the whole bag, but actually by the second Dorito, it doesn't actually taste good. The want more remains, but the taste good goes away. Fresh fruits and vegetables, whole grains. My diet now is full of tastes good. Very little want more. And the reason a while ago, my cell phone, for some reason, the um, SIM card, no, the memory card stopped working. I went to the, the, place that fixes these things. They looked in, they said, yeah, one of the pins on the, on the card reader and the phone is broken, but the 16 gigs just went away. And okay, my pictures and songs were also on my computer, so no loss there. But I don't have any space for any more apps. It's the best thing that ever happened on my cell phone. All the app, like now I got, I got texting. I use it for, I'm actually using it right now to connect to the internet, the hotspot. And I got phone, text, um, email, that's basically it. Um, no Facebook, no Twitter, no social media, and very little 
want more. It's all just tastes good. Yeah, I I really love that want more taste good um, analogy because it it so greatly encapsulates what the 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 real issue is. And um, my wife and I uh, are often talking about this, and she has taken herself off Facebook and Instagram numerous times. And every time she does it, she says, you know, it just feels better and mm-hmm. I'm happier. And, um, and my, I, I, so as I think about this, I think what is the thing that we can do to, to get to that place where we don't want more, but at what's there just tastes good. And one thing that I've done is turned off notifications for just about everything. And um, so the only things I get notifications for are really uh, text messages, which are coming from people that I want to connect with. But then I keep thinking like, do I really need to have that notification? Do I need to be taken away in that way? And, and I think what's so powerful is that idea of being able to say um, what I have tastes good and I don't want any more. Yeah. I mean, I shop increasingly at farmer's markets. I got a CSA where I, get, I pick up my food every week. And it's pretty tough to gorge on broccoli. At a certain point, you're like, that was all I wanted. Don't want anymore. I'm sure that if I had some uh, potato chips, I would feel like I want more. But there's this other feeling now that I get, which is like someone in a boardroom decided that they wanted me hooked on this thing and they're going to profit off of my health. And that fills me with the disgust. And I don't like the feeling of disgust, but if there's something disgusting, I'd rather feel it than not feel it. Well, I think... Josh, if I may, this is precisely the problem that we have with technology, right? That we have boardrooms across the country that are gamifying or or using psychological tools to ramp up the want more to phenomenal levels. I mean, that that is really the engagement is the product because they need the advertising revenue. The first industrial revolution was you had engineers creating steam engines and, you know, stick them on a, on a vehicle and you get a locomotive, stick them on a boat, you get a steamboat, stick them in a factory to get powered looms. And they would try to reduce our, um, our labor, replace human labor with machines. Now there is an issue of it's all fossil fuel. So somewhere down the road, we're paying the price on, on the pollution. This current, you know, they talk about different waves of industrial revolution. The current one, we don't have mechanical engineers or industrial, industrial engineers. We have psychological engineers. And they come up with like, where do we put the little red dot there? By me saying that, we just lost half the listeners because they all just thought, oh, red dot, maybe I should check my messages. And it's designed to like, how do we get them in? How do we get them to stay? The, some of the finest minds of our generation are figuring out how to get us hooked on these things. And it's, it's insidious, it's nefarious. One of the things that motivates me, that helps me resist these things is that feeling of like, who's on the other side of this? What are their motivations? And, and that's where I think it becomes really important to think deeply about. Um, and and when, we, when we don't think about who's on the other end. So for me, text messages, if somebody's texting me, I want to hear from that person most of the time. It's rare that I get a text from somebody that, I, that I'm not happy that I get to, to converse with them. Relationships are really important. And I'd much rather spend time with other people then spend time in, you know, some mindless app where I'm just doing the same thing over and over again. And, um, and it's so fascinating as I raise my kids to see what kinds of things pull them in and what kinds of things make them want to participate more. 
the other thing that I want to ask you specifically about is how these things are affecting our ability to lead and be mentors uh, or role models for other people. Yeah, what people could say that they're leading us to do, like these apps and so forth, they're leading us to do things. That's not leadership. You know, leadership, my definition of leadership is helping people do what they wanted to do already, but haven't figured out how. A lot of people think if, if they weren't going to do it, you're, you're getting them to do something they didn't want to do. That would be coercion. So I have to listen to the person and understand. I have to talk to them, communicate in ways that make them feel comfortable sharing what motivates them. Now, most people protect those things because that makes them vulnerable. If I know what motivates you, I could, I could laugh at you or, or make fun of you or get you manipulate you. So people generally protect that. Well, that takes time and attention and listening and support so that the person feels like, yeah, Josh is someone I want to I'm comfortable sharing this with. And then I have to respond effectively so that I support them so that they can, they, they don't feel like I'm doing it to get something from them. And then I can, then I can lead them. This leadership process is much more of deeper underlying emotions than uh, craving and the superficial stuff that, you know, you, you feel like, oh, I want to check my, check my messages. If you wait 10 minutes, that will pass. But if it's like, I want to leave the world a better place for my kids, if you wait 10 minutes, that's going to stay. So those motivations are the ones that are more useful in leadership. If you want to coerce fear and, and craving, those can work. The more people suscept are susceptible, the more they're used to being tugged around by the nose through craving, through fear, the more that they don't get so many people when you talk about leadership, when I talk about leadership, they start talking about like, well, how do I convince someone to do blah, blah, blah. Convincing, the word convince, vince is the same as in vanquish. Proving you're right to someone argument, it just provokes debate. When was the last time someone vanquished you and you said, ah, you've beaten me, now I agree with you. It, it's more like you've beaten me, but I'll get back at you. It, that's not leadership. And, and the predominant mode and message of our world, hopefully, hopefully it's changing. And certainly what I'm trying to work on is, is not thoughtful, is reaction. Here's Leadership is about thoughtful, paying attention, listening, inspire, inspiration. I, and, I, and I agree with the, the sentiment there. I think that the challenge we face is, is twofold. Number one, the actual platforms themselves are designed to draw us into this want more. We've talked about the psychological molding of these programs and their attempt to for lack of a better term, manipulate us into being more consumptive of the material coming across the wires. But I think the events of the last three weeks have also raised this disturbing aspect of technology in that it can be used to lead people in highly negative ways. And so I think one of the real challenges is honestly, beyond technology, in terms of the motivations of the people using it? How do we protect people from being led into destructive behaviors? Or alternatively, how do we create more people using technology to promote the kinds of positive changes that you're talking about? People often ask, you know, is this technology good? Or is that technology bad? 
And I view technology as technology augments the person, the intent of the person using them. People have morality or ethics. Physical objects and technologies just augment that. People, people constantly think, oh, well, you know, we recycle, that's good. You got to look at the motivations of people doing it because if people, if the reason they recycle is so that they can sell more. I mean, Coca-Cola loves to recycling because it enables them to feel, it enables the consumers to buy more thinking that it's benign and it's not. People think the problems of, with, with the environment are carbon dioxide, plastic, mercury, forever chemicals, things like that. Those are what we can measure. They're not the cause. Carbon dioxide has no volition of its own. It, it, it reacts to our behavior. Our behavior is what causes these things. Our behavior is what creates these apps. And if, we, if I could snap my fingers and return all levels to pre-industrial, but we kept our behavior, and, and even prior to that, we kept the images and beliefs and the stories, the, um, the icons, the values that drive our behavior, we, re we would be right back where we are now very soon. I mean, within a few years, maybe decades at tops. We have to go back to the intent, the motivations of the people designing the technologies, the devices, the, the apps, the, um, and in the air, the environment it would be the machines. Elon Musk is, he wants to sell more cars that are electric. I put to you, we want, I would want, I want fewer cars and of the cars we have that we can't get rid of, make them electric. Now we are moving in opposite directions. More cars is not fewer cars. I, I mean, the industrial revolution, one of the beginnings of it was the Watt steam engine, which was much more efficient than the steam engine before that. And people predicted that coal use would go down, but it didn't, it went up. Because when you make the cost of something cheaper, people do more of it. So people say, you know, and look outside your window and look at the highway. Those, that's the direct descendant of what happened there. Values, leadership is about values. Leadership is about images and stories and beliefs. And that's where we have to come back to. And the technology will augment those things. It, it raises the stakes. It makes what was once using a bit more coal in the English countryside into a global, I mean, people with a straight face say it's an existential risk. Technology amplifies. It, it goes back to this belief that I've had for a long time is speaking in an education silo of technology makes a great teacher even greater and a bad teacher even worse. And, and it applies to pretty much every facet of our life that if it, it just augments and, and continues to highlight those things that already are. And, and I think that's, that's just a really great way of looking at it. And if, if we took that approach with technology, um, I think that we would be more intentional about how we're teaching our kids about it, what we're asking them to use and what kinds of things we're buying for them. If we saw that it just brought out what was already there with them. I'll add to one thing to the list of what we'd be more aware of is the unintended side effects. Usually they're pretty clear. I mean, sometimes pop up, things pop up that we never expected, but oftentimes we could have seen it coming. It's just, we wanted to do the, I mean, going to plastic recycling, let's just say it works and mostly it doesn't. So let's just imagine that it does work. 
Now you have a new supply. Well, supply and demand says that if you have a new supply, then the prices will drop. So all these people who produce plastic, the virgin plastic producers, they have to pay off their factories and so forth. So now they have to produce more in order to make the money that they were making before. So, you know, I haven't done the, economic, uh, the, the economical research, but it's possible that recycling is actually increasing the virgin production. Recycling just kind of moves it around. Only reducing reduces, you know, you got to turn off the spigot. You can't just keep moving water around the bathtub. Yeah, this, Josh, this was a great conversation. I so appreciate you. There's so much to learn and uh, this has been awesome talking with you. So thank you. Thank you too. And uh, Jethro, I gotta, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, but thank you for inspiring me with the bike. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's one of the big ones for me. You're, you're very welcome. <laughs> it's, it's been fascinating, Josh. Thank you so much. Alrighty, that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to a growing collection of interesting experts who are helping us to understand the risks and rewards of digital technology. For those of you who would like to see Josh's daily blog posts, please go to joshuaspodek.com. That's Joshua, S-P-O-D-E-K.com. And you can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast players. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions or topic suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones, Fred is at Cybertraps, and Josh is at Spodek. And if you're still listening, you must have enjoyed this podcast. Please leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.